Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Jed Brewer. Let's do it. With us all the way from our Tennessee is Lee Younger. Yo. Yo, indeed. Yo, indeed. We've got a great show lined up. We are recording a little later than normal due to uh, general uh, chaos and unwellness, but that's okay, because <laughs> remember, these are free. <laughs> <laughs> The Say That Podcast, you get what you pay for. <laughs> yep. There's lots of podcasts that are better, and you can listen to them, but you're listening to this one, and you live with the choices you made. Let that be a lesson to you. <laughs> There's nothing like Matt King really putting it on the listener from the jump. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to reference an, an old Denzel movie, you're an adult. You made a decision. Live with your decision. Yeah. The Say That Podcast. Here in the era of on-demand media, you can't blame anyone else for this. You weren't, <laughs> you weren't spinning the radio dial, and this came on, and you're horrified. You didn't, you, know, you didn't think the, the show that used to be on at 8.30 was going to be on this one. If you're experiencing this, it's because you sought it out, and you know, I, that's something to think about. I'm trying to imagine someone literally listening to this for the first time. The first, this is the first audio that they have received from the Say That multiverse greetings ye accursed and welcome i feel like this is a pretty good introduction and speaking of the accursed um it is time it is the spooky <laughs> season it is can that be the can that be the title of the episode i speaking mean speaking of the accursed <laughs> pretty strong pretty strong <laughs> a contender out of the gate there so it is the spooky season it is the last episode going up before halloween and uh as ever uh, Christians are finding a way to be weird about Halloween. Ah, this is not a new one, but it's a new one to me that I, I shared with the gentleman here. And uh, if you grew up in a certain, you know, area of the country, maybe certain a reform tradition, you may, you know, they try to get away with the uh, the Reformation Day, ooh, spooky in its own way or whatever. Um, you know, you get a, 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 a kind of standing the edges off of Halloween, which is a you know, in a totally. Uh, totally benign holiday to begin with but you know you get your trunk or treats and your your hell houses we've talked about before and attempts to mm, yes basically do halloween uh christiany style but then someone and the, this has apparently been going on for a while but it's the first time we've heard of it i uh, decided they were going to do their own rebranding and um they came up with the unfortunate phrase that i didn't realize until this moment that choosing this as the emergency mean, meant i was probably gonna have to say this out loud in my own voice several times, uh, they have uh, tried to get started. Jesus Ween. <laughs> that is not a good mashup, man. Not can, can I good branding? Can I ask a question? Does this does this have anything to do with Ween the band? Like that would be pretty band cool from the from the late nineties. Sure, yeah, they were great, man. And if if we could have like. Like if Ween put together like a collection of hymns that they really enjoyed, like I, <laughs> I would listen to that. Yeah, <laughs> I was surprised, I, but listen, I didn't, I'd listen to it. All I remember about Ween is that the album covers had kind of like um, uh, female persons in kind of bikini bottoms on the album covers. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know if the Christians. Would sign off on like the bedazzled bikini bottoms. Well, you know, there's ways to slip by things by the Christians, apparently, as we've learned over the years of reading church signs on this show, that they just don't register certain things. And that brings us back sure, to absolutely. Jesus Ween. Jesus Ween. A real thing, which has a website that is, as you might guess, Jesus Ween, all one word, can't stress that part enough, dot com, where they break down their kind of general thought and philosophy jesus ween aka world evangelism day is a global christian gift giving festival okay global evangelism world evangelism day not a good name but better you can just go with that so you may wonder uh what is what is this whole thing about and the answer appears to be getting media coverage ah because the pretty much the whole of this website is just here's people who wrote about us uh, Time, Vice, The Christian Post, HuffPo, BuzzFeed, Virgin Radio, CTV, Gawker, Blaze Media, Public Radio International, 
you may notice that that is an entirely random assortment of uh, media outlets. And here's the thing from reading through this. And I, on some level I do um, respect this or admire it. They make no differentiation between this is a Christian outlet that wrote about us because they think it's neat. And this is a secular outlet that wrote about us because this has a stupid name and they're making fun of us. They're just like, Hey, we got column inches, (laughs) baby. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was looking at the, um, I think it was, it was Time Magazine's write-up, and I love that, like, in line one, here we go, from Time Magazine, what is Jesus Ween? It's an unfortunately named Christian organization that opposes <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And I love that the shade begins literally in sentence two. Yeah. Like, from Time Magazine. Like, if you can think of a yeah. publication that's trying to you know, keep it in the middle and whatnot, Time Magazine is like, Oh, that's not good branding. I I wouldn't do that. Yeah, but hey, these folks said, you know who you know who didn't get written about a Time magazine? Any of you. So we're <laughs> printing it. I also, and this is just a small thing, at the at the bottom of every one of these blurbs, and it's kind of set up as you might see uh reviews on a website or on a book or something, where it's, you know, here's the name of the outlet, here's a little logo, and here's what they wrote about us. At the bottom of each one is a five-star like logo, like it looks like an Amazon review. Yeah. But there's nothing getting reviewed. These are not reviews. They just, they just decide. I think they just decided, Hey, ABC news gave us five stars. Maybe. Why not? I love that. That global is saying a Calgary, a Calgary religious group is swapping the good book for gumdrops. They're throwing shade at Jesus ween. For like not being Jesus-y enough, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Also, listener, you assumed this was happening probably in the South of America. This is Canadians. So wow. just, just question your question your assumptions about some things. I'm I'm almost sure this definitely happens. It's happening across the South. If anything, this is just the way that in the places where the three of us are from, they just didn't have a name for it. It was just old church ladies being weird on Halloween and giving out tracks or bad candy instead of real candy. And you just knew not to go to that house. Yeah. But they didn't make yep. a website about it. I just want to note moving forward, this is a five-star podcast. And so far this has been five-star commentary. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Like no, no authoritative body has done that evaluation. I'm just, no. I'm just saying that that's the case. Absolutely. Yep. Yes. Uh, it's kind of an implied. I just assume anything anyone says about me, positive or negative has a little five stars at the bottom. Five stars. <laughs> like if I'm at work and they're like, uh, you know, we're doing your quarterly review and you you need improvement on your your attention to detail and your timeliness of tasks. I'm like, thank you for the five stars. <laughs> like we don't have a star. We do like a meets expectations thing. I I, I like to think I do put in five star effort. Thank you for that. <laughs> There's one review, Matt, that please Yahoo, Yahoo News. Okay, it starts with the words Stephen Colbert, one of the good witches has landed on a more elegant solution to the war on Halloween problem. Jesus ween. I don't know what that sentence means, but it's an amazing sentence. Yes, apparently it's referring to a mention they got on the, because again, this has been around for a while, the Colbert Rapport, ah. as you may remember from the early uh, 2010s, yeah. uh, where he called the movement a war on Halloween and said, quote, Jesus was the original zombie. In character on the show. <laughs> and again, either what? they could not figure out that that was making fun of them or did not care and just put it on the site. <laughs> These folks are wiling, man. Yeah. They are. They are really yeah. going with the, the, the any press is good press move. Yeah. Yeah. And that brings us to <laughs> what, what are you supposed to do? And that brings us to. Uh, some some FAQs, some frequently asked questions here. Uh, some of them are extremely long. Uh, one of these is, what is the meaning of Ween, which they wrote in all caps, which I has to be referring to the band at that point. But Absolutely. Sure. Um, unless the dictionary meaning of Ween gets revamped in the future, most of the dictionary meaning states, Ween is the ability to believe, think, expect, or imagine. So Jesus Ween is a season to think, expect, imagine, and believe in Jesus. Oh, my. Never was a justification come up with more after the fact 
than yeah. someone diving through dictionaries to find some definition of the word ween that wasn't funny and justify things that way. That was a needle in the haystack moment of etymology that is, you almost have to tip your hat to it. Yeah. Yeah. Can, can I, like, just to jump in, like, so I'm almost certain that Halloween is kind of a, a Middle English expression of All Hallows Eve, right? Got that's certainly the popular understanding. Let me do some quick Googling and see if that's true. Because I'm in that case, I think ween is kind of stealing some letters, but it's kind of like basically the eve of. So like the, the night before. Jesus, yeah, the night before. It's so like this would be like the night before Jesus, which to be fair, if Tim Burton made that movie, I would watch it. I am all in on the night before Jesus. Well, look, we all know. We we all know that uh uh you know the what's what's her name that played Bellatrix Lestrange? She's in all the Tim Burton. She's married to Tim Burton. Yeah yeah yeah. What is her Helena name? Helena Bonham Fight Carter. Too. There you go. There it is. The most English Helen, name. Yes, Helena Bonham Carter. She's going to be, I guess, the Virgin Mary. Yes. Yes. This is going to be the most protested movie in the history of time. Danny and, Elfman and, reimagines all of your favorite Christmas carols. John, I am ready. Johnny Depp is going to be uh, King Herod. Yes. Yes. John Goodman is one of the wise men. People <laughs> are going to self-immolate on the stairs of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Not anyone will miss, but people, that's what they're going to be driven to. This is going to bring cinema back. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, continuing into their Q&A and continuing with their um, extraordinary self-esteem, which I think we can all, the third Q&A after what is this and why, how, why did you put the word ween in the title is question, which they, they instead of doing Q&A, they do Q-N and A-N-S, which is just very off-putting for some reason. Um, but this is the question. I love the idea of Jesus Wayne, and I intend to participate. However, I would like to give out candy in addition to the Bibles. Is that okay? Because apparently no. the whole of the thing is you give uh, kids little Bibles instead of candy. But I just love that it didn't, it couldn't ask that. It done with, I love this idea and I want to be involved. Cord is such a good idea, but I have a question. Um, well, and it also, that Matt, that also makes me think of uh, the Simpsons episode where the Flanders children are playing Billy Graham's Bible blasters. And, Absolutely. And you just winged him and made him a Jehovah's witness. Is it a Mormon or a Jehovah's witness? Jehovah's witness. Yeah. Always an all time classic. Uh, but the good news is you are allowed to, to give out, um, give out candy. Uh, the Jesus Ween initiative is not entirely against candy. Entirely is a concerning word there. Yeah. It's about spreading the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and some well and some a welcome to give out. I'm reading that correctly. This site could really be a copywriter. Candies, in addition to Christian gifts, we recommend your our energy be invested in meaningful activities like feeding the poor while giving out life changing gifts instead of sugaring substances that will for, further destroy people's health. <laughs> All right. All right. Time out. Time out. Time out. I grew up in a house that did not have very much money, which meant Halloween was the one time of year I could have as much candy as I wanted. Amen. Dude, the idea that like the, the taking the joy of children and declaring that unimportant, that is that is weak sauce, baby. I rebuke you. No. Also, <laughs> I don't think anyone who does this has ever actually fed a poor person. Yeah, hundred percent. That's uh, that's some real using that as cover, um, dude. Even even a poor or homeless person would be like, "No, nah, man, you got to give kids candy on Halloween." What the hell? Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> and you could just you could just feed feed the homeless and also give people candy. That's you. Can yeah. Um, uh, here's a confusing one. I want to participate in the initiative again. We're opening with that. Do I have to wear a white top on October thirty first? I'm going to go with yes. People are welcome to wear whatever makes them comfortable as long as it's consistent with the gospel we are spreading. We wow. previously suggested wearing white tops because of those who have cultured themselves to wear an evil depicting costume on October 31st. The The primary language in Canada is still English, right? I'm not making that up. <laughs> like they're in Calgary. This is not the Quebecois. Uh, people should dress as they do on any normal day. It sounds like 
yeah, here's the thing. Uh, if your your thing is like Christians and we want to spread whatever, uh, wear all white. Um, particularly the phrase white top. Don't do that. That's weird. You've made a weird thing. How do Christians maintain the ability to be eminently weird in every situation? Yeah. Good question. Good question. Uh, Follow-up question. Is it cool for me to wear a Slayer tee as long as it is technically a white tee? Oh. Dude, if you have a white Black Sabbath t-shirt, Jed, I would be so fired up. (laughs) Yes. Yes, that needs to happen. Yes. (laughs) Amazoning white Black Sabbath tee (laughs) immediately. So, yeah, apparently the gist of this is uh, the children come to your house, knock on the door and say, hey, it's a it's a fun family holiday. Um, it's, you know, communities, kids going out. Uh, we'd like some candy, please. And you uh, give them uh, a Bible or something instead. Uh, oh, the, the, the answer, the question is answered as a celebrant of Jesus ween. What do I say to those who knock on my door to trick or treat? Just say, quote, Jesus loves you or I have a gift for you. Here's something. If a child you don't know comes to your door, don't use the phrase, I have a gift for you. Don't yeah, say that. That's not good. No. Uh, please do not get into any argument or of some sort. Besides, Jesus did not send us to argue or debate with the world. He wants us to spread the good news, gospel, in parentheses, telling everyone, young or old, that Jesus loves them is that good news. You know what makes that good news go down a good bit, a good bit uh, sweeter? A full-size Snicker bar. That's right. <laughs> There is no more proven youth ministry concept in the history of time than free pizza. Yeah. And fun dip. It is yeah. what makes it's think of it as a gospel enhancer, a, fl- yeah. a little flavor addition that makes the whole process run more smoothly. When people come to your house expecting candy, if, if people came to the youth group or the young life meeting or whatever, one week where there was always pizza and there were just pizza boxes that had Bibles in them, their thought wouldn't be, Wow. I really learned a lot about the the love of a of a noble God. Their thought would be, "I'm going to go where there's pizza." Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, um, as ever, and we like to leave you with a with an actionable takeaway from the emergency segment. Don't do this. <laughs> <laughs> Excellently done. Yeah. Uh, a, a recurring theme, but one that apparently we have to keep bringing up. Yeah. And with that, we will move on to your fine questions. If you have a question for us, you can have us all the way to the end of the show, and I'll give you some ways to get in touch with us, or you can scroll down to your episode description and click either of the links you find there. Our first question this week comes in and says, Luke 137 says, for no word of God will ever fail. What does that mean? I get that it's encouraging, but it seems confusing to me. And I think it's a great question. I think it is definitely a, uh, a verse that is uh, thrown around in any number of contexts, both... Uh, both maybe constructive and uh, concerning. So, Jed, where do we start off with Luke 137? It's a great question, and actually, in a sense, it ties back to the emergency, because Luke chapter 1 is actually the story of the night before Jesus. So um, it's worth, you know, we we talk on the podcast pretty regularly about we want to understand the overall context, the overall storyline from which a particular comment or quote or observation in the Bible comes so that we can better have a sense of of where it's coming from. So this idea for no word of God will will ever fail um, comes in the the middle of a very specific narrative. So let's turn to that together. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. And in fact, we're going to start in verse 26. I'm just going to read to you for a second. This is when the angel Gabriel goes to the Virgin Mary to tell her that she will have a child, and that child will be Jesus. So I'm starting verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. 
Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word, may your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Okay, so that's the story. That's, that's where we're, we're coming in here. And so you wonder, what, is it, what does it mean? Well, the first thing that we want to look at is what does it mean in the midst of this story? What yep. it means in the midst of this story is an emissary from God making a very specific set of promises to a person that God had a purpose for and assuring them the things that God wants to see happen are going to happen. That's the point of the comment in this story. As we start to pull the camera back and wonder what that might mean in your life, I think there's a few things that we want to look at and examine. God keeps his promises. He kept his promises to Mary. He keeps his promises to you and he keeps them to me. But it's really worth noting that God keeps his promises in the way that he means them as opposed to the way that we imagine them to be. Let me say that again. God keeps his promises in the way that he means them, not necessarily in the way that we as humans imagine those promises to be. So let's walk through Gabriel's words to Mary together and kind of look at how that played out. So uh, Gabriel says, the Holy One born will be called the Son of God. Um, that is a thing that, that definitely happened. Uh, you have found favor with God. That was clearly true. You will conceive and give birth to a son. That was clearly true. You were to call him Jesus. She did that. He will be great. Let's pause there. What does greatness mean? Because the Bible is clear throughout that God's idea of greatness and the human idea of greatness often don't have very much to do with each other. Yeah. And it would be very, very easy um, for Mary to assume that Jesus being great must mean he'd be like the CEO of a Fortune 100 company. But that's not what God means when he says greatness. When, when it says that, that God's uh, word will never fail, it's that Jesus will be great within God's concept of being great. Let's keep going. He will be called the son of the most high. Well, that, that definitely happened. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Well, let's pause again for a second. Jesus was not in his time on earth, any form of earthly king. Jesus was never um, appointed any kind of governing official of, of anything. So again, here we have a moment where God's emissary is referring to a very different kind of power. Uh, God's emissary here is referring to a very different kind of, of kingship. Let's keep going. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. As Christians, we do believe that those things are absolutely true, but they are true fundamentally in a spiritual sense. They are not true in a worldly sense. And so when the angel says that no word from God will ever fail, it's important that we keep in mind that all of that is coming from the perspective of how God sees things, how God sees things in time, how God sees things in his economy, how God sees things in his perspective. One of the things that I think is a great confusion for a lot of people who go to church, claim to be Christian today, is when they read the Bible, they often are mixing together the words that are said in the Bible with what they would be inclined to think those words mean, right? So if you think about like a, a common um, – a common verse that people love to quote, and 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 it is a great passage. But you know, um, uh, let's see, what's that? Hope and a purpose. Um, you know, I I will I'll give you hope and a purpose. Jeremiah twenty nine. There it is, Jeremiah twenty nine. So that is intended in a spiritual sense to be true. That's not necessarily true in in a worldly sense. And in fact, Jesus directly speaks to that. He makes it clear: in this world, you will have troubles. That, that suffering is a part of everyone's life, but it's definitely a part of a Christian life. I think perhaps the most important thing, it's important for us, but it was actually important for Mary as well, is that when the angel says, for no word of God will ever fail, 
when it looks like defeat, God's not done yet. Mm. Jesus had to go through a lot of things that looked like defeat. The story nice. wasn't over yet. Jesus had to be rejected. The story wasn't over yet. Jesus had to be betrayed. The story wasn't over yet. Jesus had to be arrested. The story wasn't over yet. Jesus was murdered by the state for crimes he did not commit. The mm. story wasn't over yet. That is true in your life and in my life as well. When things look bad, that promise of hope in a future is still true. The story isn't over yet. Beautifully put. A great place to start that off. And Lee, how would we close this one out? Fantastic stuff from Jed right there. And I, I mean, I would just rewind and listen again. I mean, I, I think as Jed was saying, this it's really important that we recognize that this is a word from a messenger of God to a specific person about her cousin. That's it's a it's a weird thing that sometimes people say the Bible was written to you. That's actually not true. The Bible was written for you. It was written to someone else. It's very important for us to recognize the context and the audience to whom the Bible is written. The book of Hebrews was written to a specific group of people because of a very specific thing they were going through. The letter to the Thessalonians was not written to me. It was written to the Thessalonians. I can glean some wisdom and some very important context and perspective from that letter, but it was written to the Thessalonians. The book of Galatians, likewise, written to the Galatians. The book, the Gospel of Mark, written to the church in Rome. Um, from this dude, um, th- this, this thing that was said, um, to Mary, it was about her cousin. It was about some trippy stuff that was prophesied hundreds of years before it occurred. And the thing about it is, is that if you were to go back in the Hebrew scriptures and you were to read those prophecies, what you would find is that folks who really, really, really cared about those Hebrew scriptures and prophecies, they had an idea in their mind about how this stuff would shake down. They, they read those scriptures, they loved those prophecies, and then all of a sudden, a poor couple had a baby who was God. They did not see that coming. All of the things that God said happened, and if you lined them up with the prophecies, after the fact, you would say, Oh, that's how that went down. But if you if you lived in the time of the prophecy, you might have an idea about how that would go down. I, I tell you that to say this. What God and, and and I'm echoing Jed kind of from a different angle or from a different shade. What God promises always happens. Okay? Let me say that from the from the jump. What God promises always happens but almost never in the way that we would ever foresee or expect. Almost always in a way that we would only recognize in hindsight. In hindsight, we would look back and say, wow, what God promised happened. Um, it, this, is a, this is a true fact, and you would find it out by reading, um, by, by reading certain um, Jewish scholars who study the prophets but they would tell you that if you were to if you were just a, a Jewish scholar studying the Hebrew scriptures without the New Testament you would come up with four figures who would fit the category of the Messiah that they would basically um they would basically have kind of a uh four different persons who would fit different offices of the promises of the Messiah and then the New Testament happens and we believe that Jesus was the fulfillment of the prophecy of the Messiah. And you would look back in hindsight and go, oh, he fulfilled all that stuff. But at the time, people looking forward thought there's four different folks who are going to f- fulfill the different offices prophesied about the Messiah. I tell you all that, not to get us lost in the weeds, but to say that all the stuff that God prophesies do- will come true. We will all recognize it in hindsight. The way that that comes down for you is we have to decide what I know about God 
what I've experienced about God, do I trust him enough to take him at his word and keep taking the next step forward in my life? That's the question I have to answer. I don't know how this is going to shake down. I don't know what's going to, what all is going to happen in my life. But my question for today is, what I've experienced about God, what I've read in the Word, and what I've understood and what I have lived through, do I trust Him enough to take another step with Him and say, I'm going to walk with you another day? I don't know how this is going to shake down, but I trust you enough to walk with you another day. Fantastically put by both of these guys. Lots of wonderful stuff there. With that, we're going to move on to our second question. It comes in and says, what's the line between processing and talking about my experience with someone and gossiping or trash talking about them? It's a great question. Um, Obviously we don't uh, know the background here, but I, I do know, and we've talked a lot about kind of more toxic church environments or leadership environments. And I probably am not alone in noticing that a lot of places where maybe the leadership doesn't want to hear about what they're doing, there's a lot of talk about how, you know, gossip is really pernicious and it's a problem. And it really, you know, we shouldn't be lowering ourselves to that. But uh, it must be said and acknowledge that there are, uh, that the Bible does actually say not to gossip and it can be a, certainly a toxic thing on its own. So, Jed, where do we go about figuring out those lines? These are great questions. Super glad that you wrote in and that you asked them. Um, let's begin with the idea of context. Um, in what context are you processing? In what context are you potentially trash talking? And there are contexts where that could be very, very appropriate. And there are contexts where that could be wildly inappropriate. Uh, there are contexts where that could be very productive and there are contexts where it could be wildly destructive. I'd like to actually kind of take a second and note that so many of the problems that I see people getting themselves into today come from people who on some level are trying to meet a legitimate need in their lives and don't have any idea of the right context for the living out of that legitimate need in their lives. Let me, let me explain a little bit what I mean. Um, everybody needs a safe place to, for example, articulate the anger that they have in their lives. Everybody needs a safe space to be able to do that. Trying to do that on your publicly visible social media accounts is a terrible idea and can wreck your life. Yep. You have a legitimate need. Like no one should just bottle up all their anger inside themselves. That's a bad idea. You have a legitimate need, but you need the right setting and the right context to meet that need. Otherwise it's, it's likely to become a problem. And again, I think so many people experience unnecessary suffering in their lives because there's a mismatch between the need they're trying to fulfill and the context in which they're trying to meet that need. If you have, for example, a therapist and with your therapist in the context of a therapy appointment, you're talking about the things you're going through and the frustrations that you have and the anger that you're experiencing. That is perfectly appropriate and good. And you should do that. And that is not gossip um, at all in any way. If you've got a therapist, a, a counselor, and you're like, there's this person, you know, at my work or in my family, and they're driving me crazy and I need to talk about it. That is not gossip at all. Those are situations where provided that you've built a, a trust based relationship with that care provider, you, you can and should be as disclosive as you as you want to be. If you're trying to do that same thing in the middle of a crowded birthday party. Um, I don't know if it's gossip or not. It's just a bad idea. You should not do that. Um, that will, you're not going to have a good conversation. People are going to overhear stuff. It's not going to end well. One of the things that I would say in kind of the, the classic definition of gossip is that there is an intent element there. Um, you know, I mean, gossips kind of like to stir the pot. Like that's, that's kind of part of the appeal is that they kind of want to um, just kind of cause trouble because it's it's stimulating and and exciting. Um, sharing information in an inappropriate and inadvisable way is not necessarily inherently gossip I, without that 
intent element, but it can still be a super bad idea. Um, you know, I mean, like depending on the kind of employment you have and blah, 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 the kind of forms you've signed and NDAs. I mean, sharing the wrong information with the wrong person can be legally actionable in a civil sense. Um, if you work for certain kinds of governmental agencies or the military, it can actually be criminally actionable depending on what information you're sharing and, and with who. Um, so there's all kinds of ways to go way, way wrong with saying the wrong thing to the wrong person that don't necessarily qualify as gossip, but still a, a hugely, hugely, hugely bad idea. The thing that I want to leave you with is I think you're asking this question because you've got some things that you're angry about. And it is a terrible idea to be angry and just keep it all inside. To be angry and say, well, because I don't want to, you know, gossip or I don't want to be not a, a good Christian or whatever, like, I just won't talk about it with anybody. That is a bad idea. If you've, if you've got a, an anger thing going, you, you would be very well served to find some safe place in your life where you can talk that out. Um, again, we on this podcast are, are big fans of finding a qualified mental health provider, a, a counselor, a therapist. If you've got a really good pastor, that can also work. Um, but you need to be able to talk it out. And, and I want to suggest that for a couple of reasons. The first is when you're angry, you often don't have, and I'm now using the royal you, like human beings collectively, you don't often have a good sense of whether you have a point or not. Um, and most things are pretty complicated. I think if you talk to someone, you really talked it out, you'd find some things that you're kind of annoyed about. You don't really have much of a point. Other things you have way more of a point than you think you do. Some things may be way, way worse than, than what you think. Um, one of the things that is a great lie, at least in American culture is the belief that anger gives you like wisdom and it gives you insight. It does not. It super does not. Anger clouds your thinking. It's very difficult to think clearly and insightfully and incisively when you are pissed off. But which Jeb, is part of that's when the that's when the hero in the movie <laughs> saves the day is when he gets really, really upset. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that is the great fiction of modern cinema. Um if you're if you're mad, one of the things you do need is wisdom, and you get wisdom by talking it out. If you keep it bottled up, it's going to be very hard to see things clearly. It's going to be very hard to, to get any wisdom or insight. But here's the other thing. It's going to be incredibly hard to get to forgiveness. A person who is a mentor in my life commented to me recently, a good forgiveness usually comes at the end of a good anger. Mm. If you're not willing to go through the process of acknowledging and expressing your anger, it's going to be real, real hard to get to a place of actual real forgiveness. Um, all of us on this podcast are Christians. We're all followers of Jesus Christ. We all believe in forgiveness. The way that you get there for most people most of the time is by acknowledging your anger and finding a place where you can process it out and get to the other side. An excellent place to start that off. And Lee, where do we take it from there? Yeah, I I loved uh I, I wanna zoom in on a word that Jed mentioned in his response, which is the word intent. Um Am I, here's a question to ask, uh, in this conversation that I need to have, am I simply processing my emotions, which by the way, that's a really good and important thing for friends to do together and with each other, or, and this is, this takes some, uh, some willing, willingness to look in the mirror. Am I manipulating outcomes or relationships in a way that benefit me? Uh, this. This kind of thing, um, it, it has more kind of subtle colors to it than, than the, the way that I just laid that out there, but it's, it's a really important question. Like, do I just need to, to, to say the words and get my feelings out and, and exercise my demons, as Jim Carrey would say, or do I need people to agree with me that I'm right? Those are two different things. Um, okay, so uh, Jed did such a great job of laying all this out. I just want to give you some some uh, markers or questions that may be clarifying for your for you to uh, 
delineate your own intent, which is, okay, here's a couple of them. Uh, one, as I uh, exercise the demons, <laughs> as it were, am I willing to hear pushback? So if, if I lay out my case, am I open to the person that I'm talking to saying, hey, man, I hear you, but there's some, there's some big stuff you're missing here, and we need to look at it. Am I willing to hear that at all? Um, okay, here's another one. Am I willing to receive feedback and questions? Those are important questions. I mean, if, and, and those, those, those kinds of things can help you understand what your intent is. Um, do I just need to vent? Do I just need to blow off some steam? That's totally great. Um, or am I trying to, uh, build a system of confederates? The, and and if I'm not willing to hear any pushback or feedback, then I may be trying to manipulate or build a, a system of confederates. If I'm just blowing off steam, then I'm totally fine with I I, I say my I, I give my spiel and my friend goes, "Hey, I love you, but that you understand that was wackadoo, right? <laughs> like you 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 heard that right as you said it." Yeah, man, I heard it. I, I I just needed to say it. Thanks for being a safe space. Can we get another hot dog? You know, whatever the case, you know, whatever the thing is. Um, so, yeah, uh, here's another one. Here's another question. This is clarifying. Did you premise the conversation with a caveat like, for instance, hey, I just need to vent here. I'm not looking for you to take sides or for anybody to make calls. That kind of a caveat sends a signal which is I, I i'm not i'm not like calling anybody good or bad in this i just need to i just need to to air some feels and that's the kind of thing that that's a fair deal if if you can express something like that there was a thing that jed said in his response which is it's kind of a we tend to look at some of these questions on say that as you know you pose the listener poses them to us and we have to make a call like something is either a or b and what jed did was he gave us a a a c or a third way like the the a or the b or the one or the the good or the bad was it's either gossip or it's healthy like venting right and what Jed did was he said, okay, there's a third thing, which is some things are just a bad idea. That's yep. a really important thing there. Um, and the, the, the reason I want to circle back to that is I want you to do a little more investigating about what your goal in certain conversations is. Does this thing accomplish your goal? Because some things are just a bad idea and they will not accomplish your goal. But we don't know that if we don't know what the goal is. So we tend to think of things in this black and white way of like, it's either gossip or it's just like healthy and good processing. Well, there's also just, hey, whether this is good processing or whether it's gossip, regardless, it's just a bad idea because it doesn't get us anywhere near your goal. So I think that's another thing is to take a step back, to take a knee and find out what is my goal here. So those are just some good things to ask yourself. Am I willing to receive feedback and pushback? Am I willing to receive questions? Did I premise this conversation with, with my goal, which is I just need to vent and I just need a friend to listen? Or is this just a bad idea? Those are just some good things to ask yourself. Now, I will say, that's all really hard when you're really on an anger. When you're when you've taken a couple bites of a big old anger sandwich and you want to eat the rest of that sandwich, like that's all really really hard to do. But if you can take a step back and have the discipline to ask some important questions, I think that's worthwhile. I think it's worthwhile saying, is this a good idea? Forget whether or not it's a sin or whether or not it's gossip. Is this a good idea? Does this get me anywhere near my goal? And am I willing to listen to the feedback of my friends? 
I think that those are both great, great ways to look at this. I would, I would tack on to exactly what Lee is saying. I think there's also, um, looking at, you know, from the other person's perspective, but also from your own intent as, as Lee put it there of, am I trying to the, not the person I'm angry at, or I'm talking about, or I'm sharing a story about, but the person I'm talking to or the people I'm talking to or whatever it is, am I trying to change their mind about something? Or am I trying to, as Lee put it, build Confederates, but am I trying to make a case to them about why, you know, I am person A talking to person B, referencing person C. Am I trying to make them feel some type of thing or form some opinion about person C? And if you are, then that's probably pushing into the unhealthy territory these guys are talking about. If you're not, then you're often talking about your own experience. And that can come in a couple of ways. It could be that person B doesn't know person C and you're not their opinion of them doesn't really matter one way or the other. It could be that person, you know, person B shares your opinion about person C. It's uh, you know, you used to work together or you used to go to the same church and the church did something weird and whatever. And it's, you know, you, you laugh, but Oh man, you remember, you remember when so-and-so did the thing that was wild. I can't believe that actually happened. That's, that's telling a story about something that happened in your life that involved another person that you're connecting with someone on. And that's, Normally safe territory, as Lee mentions, it can veer and you want to, you know, do those regular check-ins like these guys are talking about. But if you're looking for a, a quick kind of A, B test of is what I'm doing, what is described in the New Testament as, as gossip and is it inherently problematic on that run? As these guys point out, it can be problematic on a number of other areas, but purely on the thing, are you trying to make a case about the person you're referencing? Are you trying to uh, make someone be mad at them too, or not want to hang out with them or whatever it is. If that's, you know, you know, again, that's not the whole of it. And these guys gave you a lot of really good depth there. But if you're looking for that in the moment, should I say this? Should I really, you know, talk about this when I get coffee with this other person? That's, that's a pretty good litmus test to at least to start out with, I think. And with that said, we're going to move on to our final question here. It comes in and says, do I need to have a good reason for every decision I make? Like if I break up with someone or leave a job or move, do I need to have a really good reason for it to be a wise choice? I think this is an excellent question. And particularly on that last part that our question asked was here to make it a wise choice, because we are typically in Christian circles. There's a lot of, you know, ask for wisdom and make the, you know, seek the Lord's wisdom counsel, which is all good. We want wisdom, but I, I like this. The, the core of this question of is, the wise thing and the thing I can explain with every, with very clear reasoning, always the same thing. And uh, Jed, how do we start off with that? This is a great question. In the theater of our minds, I want us to go to your favorite restaurant. I want you to, that's right. That's right. We, we're, we're doing hand signs. We're doing the whole thing. The dinner theater of your mind. We're at the restaurant. You're picking up. <laughs> oh yes oh yes she will be mine we're picking up the menu we're looking at our options we're looking at the specials of the day the if it's a restaurant that has waiters the wait staff are describing the the specials of the day and you could get item one you could get item two you could get item three in your meal how do you know that you made the right choice mm. And I think the way that you know that you made the right choice on this very small decision is you feel satisfied. Somewhere towards the end of that meal, you're like, yeah, that's good. I'm glad I ordered that. That's, that's what I wanted. I feel good about that. In fact, actually, often when Hallie and I go out to eat, um, uh, if we do feel that way, one of us will say to the other, I, uh, I celebrate this decision. This was, this was exactly what I wanted. This was the right I, move. I've had a number of culinary moments with jed i've never seen him upset like in my mind whether it's like a corn dog from sonic or like a yeah. creme anglaise from like some fancy french restaurant jed's like yeah baby that hit <laughs> to, to this exact point i think my favorite moment of uh engaging in the culinary arts with jed brewer is uh sitting in a restaurant late at night uh, and Jed ordered the soup at a place you really shouldn't get the soup at. And he takes a big slurp of it and he looks up and says, this isn't good, but this is exactly what I wanted. <laughs> what? And there is in that some kind of deep key to happiness. Yeah. 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 That's, that's the super oh lucky my. dog, baby. Who is that's this right. man? 
<laughs> okay, so let's 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 go from right there because that's actually a perfect distillation. Was the soup from this hot dog place? Was it a wise choice? Probably not. Um, <laughs> Nothing at that place is. Yeah. What was it? A smart choice? Was it a healthy choice? I don't know. Probably not. But it's a choice I felt good about. Okay. And that's the thing that I really, really, really want you to think about is choices where after making them, you feel good about the choice that you made. Hopefully you feel good an hour later. Hopefully you feel good a day later and a week later and a year later. But your satisfaction matters. If you're not satisfied with the decisions that you're making, something is going wrong. And I think that for an awful lot of people who are coming from a a faith-based background, they have been taught to ignore everything related to their own satisfaction. Come on, man. Come on, dude. If you want to make better decisions, you have to get acquainted with, and I believe begin to respect and maybe even fall in love with, your own satisfaction. If you don't know what would be satisfying to you, it is going to be so hard to make decisions that work for you. And here's the thing is at the end of the day, you're accountable to you. You got to live your life. If you're a person of faith, then there's you and God. If you're a person of faith and you're married, then there's you and there's God and there's your partner. But like, that's it. It, You're accountable to you. You got to, you got to figure out what works for you. So I really, if nothing else, I, I just want you to think about that idea of, are you satisfied with your decisions? Does wisdom matter? Yes. Does strategy matter? Yes. But are you satisfied with your decisions? That metric needs to not only be in the mix, it needs to be way high up in the mix. With that said, I want to give you kind of two specific concrete things that might be useful as you navigate that. The first is many of us, when we're trying to make decisions, we kind of land on a binary. I'm either going to do A or I'm going to do B. I have found it helpful, and actually studies have shown that people often feel more satisfied with their decisions when they find a way for there to be a third option. Instead of it's only A or it's only B, there's some option Mm. C that I could do that I'm going to give serious consideration to. Um, I think for all kinds of reasons, for many people in many situations, that makes it feel less scary, that makes it feel more freeing, that makes it feel... um, more like we're picking from a buffet of good possibilities as opposed to one of these is poison and one of these is gold, which that's not, you know, a very safe place to be emotionally. So an example would be, you know, should I should I take the the new job or should I go back to graduate school? Well, a third option in that case might be, could I kind of sort of do both? Could I find a way to begin graduate school part-time and talk with my hiring manager and explain I will need some um, accommodations with the schedule because I'm excited about this position, but I am pursuing, you know, further education. That's an option C. Maybe it would fit. Maybe it wouldn't. Maybe it would be a good idea. Maybe it wouldn't. But you're not limited to just A or B. And again, the, the other thing that creating an option C does is it gets you thinking creatively. So much of the pressure and the stress that we feel with decision making comes from trying to be right or wrong. And yep. Right and wrong and creativity occupy very different spaces. I think most people are far more satisfied, there's that word again, when they're coming from a creative standpoint rather than a correct standpoint, a right or wrong standpoint. Lean into that creativity and recognize that creativity is a skill. The more you do it, the better you will get at it. Here's the other one. You're wondering, do I need to have a, and I'm putting air quotes here, a good reason for every decision I make? I want you to recognize that there's a difference between, again, air quotes, having a good reason and knowing that something is the right move for you, even if you're not fully able to articulate how or why you know that. Spooky, man. It's spooky, but it's true. To be human is to know all kinds of things that you can't prove. To be human is to know all kinds of things that you can't do the math on. And again, most of the people who listen to this show are people of faith um, and and particularly people of, of Christian faith. I don't know if you know your faith tradition embraces the idea of mystery. 
It embraces the idea that you can't prove all the stuff and you're not supposed to. It embraces the idea of the ineffable. It embraces the idea that there are things too wonderful for us. It embraces the idea that there are some things you just know because you know them and you're not sure how. That is, that is your faith tradition. But it's also just how life works. How do you know that you love your partner? How do you, how do you know that you love your children? How do you know that your mom loves you? I hope that in each of those cases, you know those things to be true. But if you had to prove them, that would get really weird and really sticky in a hurry. That would be hard to do. Life is filled with things that we know, even though we can't show our work. We can't prove how we know them. It's okay to give yourself permission to say, I know this is. I know this is the right way to go. I'm not sure exactly why. I'm not sure I can articulate how. But I know within myself this is the direction that I need to go. That is okay as long as it leads to you being satisfied. As a, a great hmm. way to bring that up. I also, but however, I would disagree. I don't know what Jed means about this idea of a Christian faith embracing mystery and ineffableness. I, I embrace uh, lots of books <laughs> and many good footnotes, and there's nothing about God that can't be explained by a white guy in a sweater, and that is what we rest our hope on, oh. uh, like all Southern Christians. Sponsored but, by the Gospel that, Coalition. Yes, with that important <laughs> correction made, uh, Lee, where do we close this out? This is a great response, man. Um, here's the thing I want to prepare you for. Uh, you ask really great questions. You asked a bunch of deep questions about uh, big movements in your life. Here's the thing. Every f- question that you have posed and that you will face is going to have telescoping layers of other questions involved in it. I just want you to be prepared for that. I, I, I want you to understand that when you make a decision either way about any of the things that you've brought up, that there are going to be multiple meta layers of other questions. In other words, you never get to the end of questions. <laughs> like, let me give you a, a for instance. Um so, for instance, you talk about, like, uh, the relationship thing, you know, whether or not to break up or to stay together with. Well, there's a million questions involved in that. By the way, um, I have, like, a – so I've been working with uh, young people for over 20 years now. And at this point, I have developed a uh, gold standard five rules of dating. And rule number two is Anyone, if there's no ring, anyone can break up at any time for any reason or no reason at all. Boom. So, I mean, but there's lots of things to consider in that. Why am I making this decision? What is it that brought me to this place? Uh, Let's talk about the job thing. You, You brought up the job thing. There are questions. Is your current job a healthy environment? Is the new job you're looking at a viable place of employment? Does it pay the bills? Um, you're talking about moving. Okay. Uh, the place you want to move to, is there work there? Can you live there? Do you have people there? In other words, whatever of, of these big decisions that you're looking at making, once you delve into this, there are going to be telescoping layers of other questions. And so the, the thing that Jed is leading to you, leading you toward is really, really important. Do I know? This is such an important question. So I'm going to say it really slowly. That's how you know it's important, as you say it slowly. Do I know what matters to me? Yep. And if you can figure that out, that's going to give you a really good magnet towards being able to figure out the answers to all these telescoping questions. Because at every in every big decision that you're looking at, there are tons of little other questions at meta layers that telescope out and just go out and out and out and out and out, and out into other questions. Do I know what matters to me? Do I know what I like? Do I know what my life is about? Do I know who I am? These are the deep things that we want you to that we want you to have confidence about that we want you to understand, we want you to know about yourself. And you get to know that, by the way, by embracing where Jed was taking us with the the, the concept of satisfaction and having the confidence that I matter as a person and my pet peeves matter and my likes matter and my 
um, the, the things that I enjoy and the things I don't enjoy, all that stuff matters. And I can follow that like a cardinal north. And I can build a life based around those things. But understand, this does not get more simple. It gets more complicated in the sense that there are more and more and more and more questions. So you have to decide um, that I'm going to get to know who I am so that I can build a life around the individual person that I am becoming. Really, really well put by both these guys. I would add on to that last great point that Lee made about becoming, because rarely, in the same way that Jed pointed out, rarely is there a full-on A or B binary when it comes to a decision. Uh, Also, rarely is there such a thing as a decision that is made and set in stone and then it is the the catalyst for all those cascading effects that Lee mentioned. Lee, we I think Lee laid it very well out. If you'll have a number of questions now, you may have a series of new decisions to make off that decision, but the idea that, oh, well, I took this job and not that job. Eh, very few people stay in a job for 40 years. Um, you know, it's, things are stepping stones. Oh, I, I broke up with this person and maybe I shouldn't have. Maybe that was my only chance at happiness. Uh, you know, I, I, all three of us in this uh, show are married. Uh, none of the three of us would ever want to be married to anyone other than the person we're married to. But um, we've also sat in lots of restaurant booths and cabins and whatnot with people who were absolutely sure that their only chance at happiness had just walked out the door. Yep. And then uh, that turned out to not be the case. There's a little bit of uh, <laughs> retroactive history in some of these yeah. stories or, you know, oh, I, I, we ended up buying this house and it was perfect. And it's the house where our kids grew up and it was wonderful. We made these wonderful friends. That's all great. That doesn't mean that not buying that house would have led to a life of isolation and misery and everything else bad. You may have lived somewhere else and met those people and, you know, raise your kids there. That's fine as well. Um, there are a, a very small number of huge make or break decisions in life, but way less than you think. And even those are not irreversible for the most part. Um, unless you're talking about uh, having children, like th- that's a pretty big commitment, like 18 years, a long time. And beyond that, if there's, you know, other stuff going on, but, Jobs, schools, relationships, all these can be wonderful things, but there's very few things that don't have some kind of ripcord on them or an ability to redirect uh, the movement you're making or double back or do that. And that doesn't mean that there's no incentive to make good decisions, but it, I think we can let go of the idea that you have to make the perfect decision for the perfect reasons at every complete step of the way or it's all going to, to go completely kaput. You still pay after 18 years, by the way. That's a very, that's, you know. Still very much, very much pay after the 18 years. <laughs> the American educational system, folks. It's fantastic. It's really working out great. <laughs> and on that note, if you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumble.com, slash ask. You want to keep that entirely anonymous. Take out the song. This week, this is Lee's take on the hymn. We were talking about hymns earlier. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Take out that. Hey. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Vast, unmeasured, boundless, free. 